Well, this morning we are so blessed and I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to introduce to you Dr. David Van Drunen, who comes to our pulpit. He's a fellow that grew up actually in Oak Brook. He attended and uh, was nurtured in the faith at the Christian uh, Reformed Church in Western Springs. He's a graduate of Timothy Christian School, so he's really coming home here this morning. Dr. Van Druren is professor of systematic theology and Christian ethics at Westminster Seminary in California. David has a pastor's heart, having served as the pastor of Grace Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hanover Park several years ago. He was awarded the undergraduate degree from Calvin College in Grand Rapids. His Master's of Divinity is from Westminster Seminary. And David is also a graduate of Northwestern University School of Law, and he has his Ph.D. from Loyola University of Chicago. He may be a pastor at heart, but obviously he is a very fine scholar who is the author or editor of six books, most recently Natural Law and the Two Kingdoms, and another book that I would highly recommend to all of you, Bioethics and the Christian Life, A Guide to Making Difficult Decisions. Last year, he was visiting fellow at the Center for the Study of Law and Religion at Emory University. David and his wife, Catherine, and his son, uh, Jack, all live in Escondido, California. So I'm sure that you will join me in welcoming pastor, theologian, and attorney, Dr. David Van Druren, as he comes to share God's Word with us this morning. Thank you. I appreciate the very warm introduction. And uh, it is true that though I didn't uh, grow up in this church, that it is sort of like coming home, at least close to home, uh, not only because I'm from the area, I grew up very, very close to here, uh, but I spent countless hours under this roof uh, playing your beautiful organ, and Devon Hollingsworth, uh, good enough to give me organ lessons for many years, so it brings back a lot of good memories uh, to be here, and I'm certainly honored to receive the invitation to be here and uh, privileged to worship with you this morning. I will be reading from God's Word Uh, Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16, through Galatians 6, verse 2. You may find this on page uh, 1815 in the Bibles before you. My sermon will focus upon the first two verses of Galatians 6, but reading uh, the end of Galatians 5 as well should help to put these uh, brief verses uh, in context. So Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16. Hear the word of God. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. 
The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Send our reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and preaching of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks again for calling us together to worship you. We pray that you would speak to us powerfully through your word. We thank you for the light that it gives us in the darkness. We thank you for its beautiful message of Christ and his work on our behalf. We pray that by your spirit we might respond with faith and repentance before your word. May your name be honored and glorified among us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul in the opening of Galatians 6 says something that is very important for the church to hear. And it's very important for us to hear specifically as the church, as the body of believers called together. Now, Paul has written the entire book of Galatians to the church. He addresses it from the beginning to the churches that are in Galatia. But here as he comes to the last chapter of this epistle, you would have noticed that he begins by saying, brothers, He makes this heartfelt appeal to his readers, specifically as those who are his fellow Christians, his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, there are many organizations, many institutions that fill this world, and sometimes people wonder what it is about the church that really makes it different, that makes it distinct. Because sometimes, at least in outward ways, it looks very similar to many other groups and organizations in this world. Sometimes the world wonders that about us, what is really different about the church. And sometimes we wonder about that, we who are part of Christ's church. And it is good for us to think about that question. Here, Paul tells us one of the most crucial distinctives about the Christian church. And what he has in mind is helping us to understand how the church of Jesus Christ is to respond when there is sin in the church and when there is the trouble and the conflict 
that sin inevitably brings that arises in our own midst. That is what Paul focuses our attention upon in these verses. Now, as we turn our attention to looking at what Paul says here, we can't really get very far into this brief text before we need to pause for a moment and to reflect upon the weightiness of what Paul is speaking of. He says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin. You see, Paul presumes that there are going to be sins committed in our midst, amongst ourselves. And that may not be entirely the news that we want to hear. There are probably a lot of times when we would like to think that what should set the church apart is that we are freed from the kinds of sins and the kinds of trouble that strike other organizations in this world. And sometimes the world holds that against the church, thinking or suggesting that if the church has so many problems in its own midst, sometimes very public and embarrassing ones, then maybe the message that we preach, the gospel that we proclaim, maybe it's really not true. Maybe it's evidence against our claims. And yet as we look at the New Testament, as we read the testimony of the apostles, we would certainly never get that idea from the Bible itself. The Bible never suggests that the church will be free from sin, that those who confess Christ will not fall uh, uh, before each other and sometimes before the world. In fact, as we consider the very book of Galatians, which we have just, uh, from which we have just read, it is very clear that this very book, this very letter that Paul writes, has emerged out of a situation of severe conflict. Some of you may know the term, the Judaizers. The Judaizers were a group within the early church, the very early church, that professed the name of Christ and yet insisted that anyone who wished to be saved had to obey the law of Moses given in the Old Testament, a condition of salvation. And the book of Acts has many stories that relate the kind of conflicts that this teaching produced. And Paul has written the book of Galatians to address this false teaching and to instruct the church how to respond to it. And Paul can be sometimes very harsh, very frank in the words that he uses in addressing this conflict. In Galatians 1, he says that if anyone comes to you and preaches another gospel, let him be eternally condemned. And in chapter 2, he tells the story of a public conflict between himself and the Apostle Peter, these two great teachers of the church. They, they had disputes publicly over some of the issues related to the Judaizers. Galatians is born in controversy. The church will wrestle with sin and trouble within its midst. That is not what makes it different from other organizations in this world. And so what is it? What is it that makes the church distinct? Well, what Paul points us to here at the opening of Galatians 6 is the way in which the church responds to the sin that emerges within it. 
Paul wants to tell us how we are to respond in a way that is shaped and formed by the reality of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemptive work and the gospel that has been proclaimed and that we have believed. It shapes the way that we respond to the sin that inevitably arises among us. Paul says, brothers, if anyone is, someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. The call is to restore the one who has fallen. Now, in order to appreciate just how momentous, just how spectacular, and yet how difficult what Paul says really is, it's helpful to remember the very conflict that Paul was trying to address. Now, think back for a moment to the Judaizers. The Judaizers said, if you want to be saved, you have to go back and obey the law of Moses. So what would the Judaizers have been telling the churches in Galatia about how to deal with sin and conflict in their midst? What would their message have been? What would the churches in Galatia have been hearing from them? Well, we might consider what the Old Testament says, which the Judaizers were undoubtedly telling them. I want to look with you for a moment at the end of Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19 is an important part of this law of Moses, and it deals with how to, how to respond to someone who commits a great sin in the midst of the people of Israel of old. Now, I just want to read a, a few, uh, a few uh, phrases here. Uh, in Deuteronomy 19, the law of Moses says, you must purge the evil from among you. Show no pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Now, that seems like a very severe standard, doesn't it? The emphasis is upon making sure that justice is done, that people get exactly what they deserve, no less and no more, making sure that people receive the proper punishment that their sins deserve. Now, we may wonder, why was it that God of old gave his people such a strict standard, what seems to be a very harsh and severe standard to us, perhaps, Now, Paul has given us actually a hint, a suggestion about why such a severe response was required of God's people of old. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, Paul said this, the law, referring to the Old Testament law, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, God gave the law to his people of old not for its own sake, not as an end in itself, but he gave it to his people to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah, to point them forward to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the last days. And one of the things that God's people of old needed to understand was that their God is a just God. He is not a God who just ignores sin, not a God who just winks at transgression, but He is holy. He loves goodness and righteousness 
and he will see that justice and righteousness is done on earth and among his people. God's people needed to understand that about him. But now the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And the Lord Jesus Christ in his work has shown forth the justice of God accomplished and fulfilled. The Lord Jesus Christ came and obeyed God's law perfectly on our behalf. He suffered the punishment that the law required. He endured the curse of the law on behalf of his people. He has shown forth God's justice in this marvelous final way. And that means that things cannot be the same for us. That's one of Paul's chief messages in Galatians. Things can't be the same now that Christ has come and done this marvelous work. How is it to affect the way that we respond to sin and conflict in our midst? Does it mean that now we should just ignore sin? No, it certainly does not mean that. That's very clear here in Galatians 6. Does it mean perhaps that we should no longer seek to purge the evil from among us, as Deuteronomy said? No, it does not mean that either. We could turn to 1 Corinthians 5 and find Paul using almost exactly the same language in instructing that church how to deal with sin among itself. But what we might say is this. Now that Christ has come and established his New Testament church, now we are to show pity in abundance. To Israel of old, Moses had said, show no pity. But now Paul commands us to show pity abundantly, to show mercy, compassion, abounding love to one another in a way that far surpasses that known in the Old Testament. Perhaps you are familiar with those wonderful words that the Lord Jesus spoke in Matthew 18. He said, if someone commits a sin against you, go to that person privately, speak to him, and seek to win your brother back. If that doesn't work, take a couple others with you and try to bring him back. If that doesn't work, take the whole church to seek to win him back at every stage along the way. Jesus never says, make sure he gets what he deserves. Make sure justice is done. Every step along the way, the purpose is to win him back, to reconcile him back to God and to God's people. One of the wonderful things about those commands that Jesus gives there is that they're surrounded by two parables, before and after. The parable before it is the parable of the shepherd with a hundred sheep who leaves the 99 to go and to seek that one sheep that has wandered off. That's who our God is in Jesus Christ, a God who seeks the wandering sheep. And that's who we are to be, as we see those who sin and wander among ourselves. And the parable just after those commands, it's the parable of the unmerciful servant. There was a king who had a servant 
who owed him an unpayable debt. It was so large he could never return it. And that king forgave him freely and entirely. That servant went out and refused to forgive others who had these tiny debts that were owed to him and was rebuked for that. Because we who belong to a God who has forgiven us freely and completely in Jesus Christ must be the kind of people who seek to forgive others so freely and so mercifully. That is how we are to conduct ourselves as the church of Jesus Christ. Now the state still exists, civil government must still do its job, must still enforce justice, that is its work. But in the church, that is not our job. In the church of Jesus Christ, when our brothers and sisters sin, when they fall, we are not to try to give them what they deserve. And you know why that is? It's because the Lord Jesus Christ has already taken what they deserve. And we are called to be merciful and loving and forgiving towards them as Christ has already been towards them. We are to seek to restore those people. Now, there are three things that I would call your attention to, especially here in verse 1. Three ways in which we are to carry out this task of restoration. The first thing that I would note for you, Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him. You who are spiritual should restore him. Now, that word spiritual might draw a lot of different connotations in your minds. What does it mean to be spiritual? When you first heard that, perhaps you thought, that what Paul is saying here is that there is a special class of Christians, some kind of class of super-Christians who are more pious and godly than the rest of us, and it's their job to try to restore sinners. But that is not at all what Paul has in mind. It might be helpful for you when you hear that phrase, you who are spiritual, to capitalize the S in your mind. Because when Paul says spiritual, he's thinking of the Holy Spirit. You who have the Holy Spirit have the responsibility and the privilege of seeking to restore fallen sinners. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, everyone who has faith in Him, has the Holy Spirit. And so this is for us all. We are all obliged to be restoring the sinner. And yet, this is a wonderful reminder that we do not do it on our own strength and power. It is the Spirit who works in us to make us the kind of people who can do what is often a very, very difficult thing. Remember what I read a few minutes ago from Galatians 5. The Spirit is the one who creates in us a hatred and aversion to the kinds of sins that arise among us in the first place. The kind of sins that cause dissension and factions among us. And the Spirit also works in us His special fruit to make us the kind of people who can deal with sin and conflict in the right sort of way. To work in us love, patience, 
kindness, gentleness. Now here's the second thing that Paul says here that helps us to understand this restoration which we are to seek for sinners. Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, gently. Sometimes, perhaps most of the time, when we see one who has sinned, one who has fallen, who is wandering, it'd be a lot easier just to ignore it, just not to deal with it. Because it seems that if we approach the person, if we make the effort to deal with the sin and the sinner, that we are going to seem very harsh in doing so. We are going to come across as very judgmental and maybe make the problem worse. And so Paul says to us, deal with the problem. Approach the sinner and yet do so, as he says quite literally, with a spirit of gentleness. May that fruit of the spirit, gentleness, suffuse our actions so that we avoid harshness, that we avoid being judgmental, that we avoid making problems worse rather than better. Finally, the third thing that Paul points our attention to here in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Now, I think it's interesting to note that this is, that, that in the original Greek text that Paul wrote, this was not a separate command. It was a way of explaining how we are to restore people gently. A better translation might be something like this. You who are spiritual should restore him gently, watching yourself, or you also may be tempted. Brothers and sisters, when we see others sin and we see others fall, sometimes the question that first comes to mind is, how could he do something like that? How could she do something that's so stupid? And yet that is not at all the thing that should come to mind. The question we should ask is rather, how is it by God's grace that I have not fallen in that way, if that's indeed the case? How is it that though I have sinned in so many other ways that I am still loved by God and part of his church. Those are the things, the questions that should be on our mind. Paul calls us here to keep one eye on our brother who has sinned and the other eye turned on ourselves, keeping a close watch upon ourselves. We are to restore the sinner with a spirit of deep humility. In the Sermon on the Mount, You may remember that Jesus said, take the log out of your own eye before you seek to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Sometimes if we do this, we may check ourselves and not say what we were going to say in the first place because we realize it was not so much for our neighbor's good as it was for our own self-exaltation. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Finally, consider what Paul says briefly in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
Now, Paul is continuing on in the same vein of what he has just said in verse 1. But we should not think that Paul is simply summarizing what he said. He is pushing the envelope further. He is deepening and broadening the commands that we have already considered. It's not as if what he said in verse 1 is not hard enough to be merciful and compassionate and forgiving to the sinner, perhaps even the one who has done great harm to us and seeking to restore that person. That's hard enough. But Paul says here that we must carry each other's burdens. We need to be clear about what Paul is saying. He's saying that it is not enough simply to hold ourselves out as willing to receive others back into our fellowship. If they can find some way to fix their lives and to make amends for all the things that they've done, that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we need to be active. We need to seek out those who have fallen and are wandering. We need to find them, to suffer with them, to lighten the burden that is on their shoulders. We need to be looking and trying to see if there is anything that is prohibiting a fallen sinner from returning to God and his people. And we need to do everything in our power to take that stumbling block out of the way. That is what Paul is calling us to do. And Paul says that if you do this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That is an unusual phrase in the New Testament. To understand what Paul is saying here about fulfilling the law of Christ, it's helpful to go back to the Sermon on the Mount for a moment. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. Christ came to fulfill the law. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus proceeded, after announcing that he had come to fulfill the law, he proceeded to explain how God's people, how his disciples are to carry out God's law. It is not that God's law no longer applies to his people, but obeying God's law can't look exactly the same now as it looked to God's people of old before Jesus came. It is sort of like the light going through a prism. It's the same light that goes into a prism as comes out the other side. The same light, but it doesn't look the same on the other side. It looks different, and it looks more beautiful. And that's sort of what it's like with God's law. It's the same law before and after Christ's coming, but it looks different and it looks more beautiful now for us today. Think for a moment now about how Christ fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled it not only by obeying all of its commands perfectly, but he obeyed it by coming into our shoes, coming into our position, and bearing the weight that was upon our shoulders the punishment of the law, the curse of the law that was justly due to us. He bore it himself and took it away once and for all. 
You see, Jesus didn't come and proclaim that God is ready to receive you if you figure out how to solve your problems. In Jesus Christ, God showed that he is the kind of God who will come to fallen sinners and find them and do whatever it takes to bring them back and restore them to his fellowship. People of God, carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. May we count it a privilege to reflect our blessed Savior that when we see fallen sinners, that we do not stand at a distance hoping they come back, but we go and we find them out. And we reflect upon the fact that there is no longer a burden on our shoulders because Christ has taken it away. Now we have the privilege to try to share some of the weight that is upon someone else's shoulders to suffer with them, to bear with them, so that nothing may prohibit their restoration. People of God, if someone is caught in a sin, may we be most eager to forgive, to show mercy, to restore them gently. If we do so, surely we will fulfill the law of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, what wonderful good news it is to hear in your gospel that you did what we could never do ourselves, which was bring us back to yourself to show mercy to us, to forgive us, and to restore us into your blessed fellowship. Thank you for the work of Christ. Thank you that he fulfilled all righteousness that he carried upon his own shoulders the weight of the punishment and curse of your law, that he did it for us, that he has brought us back to your fold, that he has lightened the weight from our shoulders. Oh, Father, as we see our brothers and sisters struggling, when we see them sin and fall and wander, oh, Lord, may we not seek their condemnation their judgment. But as we think that Christ has already borne the judgment for us all, may we seek to show them the mercy and the love of Christ to bear their burdens and to do what it takes to restore them, to bring them back. Oh, Lord, would you bless us, would you bless this church to make us the sort of people who would be eager to fulfill the law of Christ in exactly this way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.